This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. What does the coronavirus pandemic mean for due process for the criminally accused? Clark Neely is Cato's vice president for criminal justice. We discuss the ways in which city and state courts are responding to the outbreak and why the end of some heavy-handed tactics used by prosecutors are a small silver lining during this difficult time. Well, I think the most important thing that the criminal justice system can do in response to the so-called coronavirus epidemic is to realize that um, locking people up for no particularly good reason um, was always um, a very bad idea from a policy standpoint and also immoral. And I think what the situation is really impressing upon some people um, is the magnitude um, of the significance of of not only taking away somebody's liberty, um, but putting them into a potentially very hazardous situation um, one where the government necessarily becomes uh, responsible, entirely responsible for that person's health and well-being. Um, I think that, unfortunately, a number of uh, sort of state, local, and even the federal government have um, taken that responsibility um, pretty lightly at times. And putting large numbers of people together in one place uh, without a particularly good reason Um, in the current circumstances, I think people are beginning to realize what a terrible idea that is and what an enormous responsibility it is to uh, accept um, sole responsibility for another person's health and well-being. Um, That's always a grave responsibility. Um, And again, one I think that the government has often taken too lightly. Um, But now in the context of this epidemic, I think uh, many government actors are are really beginning to realize the true significance of of, uh, becoming solely responsible for a person's well-being when you have them in custody. Are there states that have uh, have taken particular action that you think, or cities that have uh, taken particular action that you think is uh, laudable? Yeah, it's mostly at the city level at this point. So for example, there was an announcement this morning that the city of Philadelphia um, police officers would stop making narcotics arrests. So they're basically going to stop um, enforcing uh, peaceful uh, drug activity, um, which is, of course, exactly what libertarians think the government should do in general. Um, Philadelphia police will also uh, stop making arrests for a variety of relatively lower-level crimes, um, probably including some crimes that should be uh, at some point um, enforced again. I'm talking about things like shoplifting and um, low-level thefts. Um, those are things I think that that there are perfectly legitimate reasons for enforcing those laws. Um, perhaps not prioritizing them, um, but certainly enforcing them. Um, other cities, uh, San Francisco, for example, and, and others, um, have said that they will begin um, making an effort to release relatively lower level um, uh, prisoners, people who are in prison for engaging in, in relatively low level uh, non-rights violating conduct. Um, and they'll take a hard look at who should be let out early. Um, of course, again, that's a policy that, frankly, we should have embraced some time ago. Um, and uh, in a society that has been as cavalier about the use of the criminal sanction as we have, it's unfortunate that it's taken an epidemic uh, to get the government to um, realize the magnitude um, of the uh, of, of of what you do to somebody when you take away their liberty and you you take custody of them. So, if there is a silver lining um, for the current situation, perhaps it's that at least some government officials are now thinking twice uh, about whether it really makes sense to incarcerate so many people and whether there are some people who are currently locked up that don't need to be. And what about pretrial? Right. That's a whole other issue. Um, We still, of course, have um, a requirement uh, for due process. We have uh, constitutionally prescribed procedures that uh, have to be 
complied with before uh, a person can be uh, a judge guilty and locked up or locked up pretrial uh, if you're going to deny uh, that that person bail or set bail in an amount that they can't meet, uh, then they're going to be locked up pretrial. Um, there are, of course, two issues with that. First, um, a fair amount of that process uh, is or should be done live in person in a courtroom where, of course, uh, you can't avoid putting a, uh, a group of people together, which is an increasingly bad idea. Uh, and then also you have to think very hard about what it means to lock a person up um, pretrial. You may be exposing that person uh, to a grave health risk. Uh, and then the question becomes, for what purpose? Um, and the only real uh, compelling reason that can be offered to do that is if the person is such a grave threat to the public that uh, it makes sense uh, both to accept uh, the increased risk that um, uh, that they and society will face if you uh, put a whole bunch of people together inside a jail, um, and um, also that uh, that that risk is is uh, worth undertaking for the personnel involved, the judge, the courtroom staff, the prosecutor, the defense counsel, and so forth. Um, they, of course, will all be exposed uh, to a risk of having to participate uh, in the required process before that person's uh, the the suspect or defendant's liberty is taken away. And of course, the stakes are much higher now than they have been in the past. For the rest of us, although the stakes have always been very high uh, for the defendant, uh, whose, loss, whose loss of liberty is at stake. So it's interesting. You, you talk about the, the defense attorneys, the prosecutors, the judge, the bailiff, the people who are required to be in the courtroom. They have some skin in the game in a way that they haven't before. Well, that's exactly right, and this is this is something that I've talked about quite a bit, both in my writings and elsewhere. Is um, it's extraordinary how little skin um, in the game uh, various actors have in this process up until this point. Um, so, you take, for example, uh, a prosecutor um, who, uh, in the vast majority of cases, in fact, virtually all cases, um, their default uh, effort that they will make is an effort to try to get the defendant. To plead guilty. This is a constitutional shortcut. I'm not saying it's unconstitutional, although it certainly can be if it becomes coercive enough. Uh, but we allow prosecutors and judges to take this unconstitutional, I'm sorry, this extra constitutional shortcut uh, of plea bargaining, which is the way that the vast majority of criminal cases are resolved today. In fact, more than 95% of all criminal convictions uh, come from uh, a guilty plea on the part of the defendant. And we allow these people to engage in this extra constitutional uh, shortcut. Uh, that is rife with hazard. And we know, for example, that some significant number of, of people are coerced into falsely pleading guilty every year. Um, but we allow them to do it with virtually no skin in the game. It's, uh, I, I sometimes use a, a, an analogy. Um, it, it's almost as if we allow, for example, um, an airline to take a bunch of, of shortcuts, um, uh, you know, maybe flying with less fuel uh, in reserve than they ought to have, or only, you know, one pilot instead of a pilot and a co-pilot. And we allow the people making the decision about doing about whether to implement these efficiency-based shortcuts to do it without ever setting foot on one of the planes themselves. And uh, that's really our system on a plate uh, up until this point. It has been uh, allowing people who, who hold extraordinary power um, and discretion um, to exercise it in a way that cuts many uh, constitutional corners and exposes defendants um, to uh, tremendous hazards, including the hazard of a false uh, conviction. We allow those people, judges and prosecutors, to do that with zero skin in the game. And it's interesting to see, see how things are beginning to change now that those people actually do have some skin in the game. And many of them are rethinking whether it's actually worth the risk to themselves and to others, but particularly to themselves, um, of even bringing certain people 
into court uh, in an effort to lock them up. And as I said, perhaps that will end up being a silver lining. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the, uh, the current epidemic, but I hope that some of the thinking and some of the perspective that people are having um, about their role in the system and what the system does uh, to individuals, I hope that continues on. Clark Neely is Vice President for Criminal Justice at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.